If you have your Bibles, would you open up with me to Judges chapter 6? I asked Pastor Lisa to sing that song uh, specifically, that specific title, that specific song, because I believe this morning we need to hear what God says about us. We need to know what God has said about us this morning. Judges chapter 6. I want to tell you a story of a mother who was putting her young three or four-year-old son to bed. And every night, every night this mother, before she said goodnight to her son and put him to bed and went to her room, she would remind him who he was. And she would say every night before bed, you are my hero. You are my mighty warrior. You are my superman. And every night she would say this, affirming, speaking encouragement into him. But one night after they had had a long day, they had gotten home very late, so the mother just put her son to bed, tucked him in, and went to the other room. And just a few minutes later, her son called out, Mama, Mama. Mother said, what? What's, what's wrong? She says, he says, Mama, you forgot to tell me who I am. Yes. You forgot to tell me who I am. We need to hear, once again, we need to understand, according to God's word, who we are. We need to know what God is saying about us. We need to understand our self-worth and our identity according to the word of God. We need to know where our, self, our identity lies and it's in the word of God. And, and this morning we need, to, we need to tell God, tell me who I am again. Tell me who I am again. And I believe in this passage of scripture that the word of God is powerful. And I, I honor the word of God. And, and in this church, if you've come for any length of time, you know we hold the word of God in high regard. And, and we honor the word of God. And, and in some churches and in some uh, cultures, they have people stand when the word of God is read. And we don't do that here, but I think it's a good thing. I think we should honor the word of God and we should stand together. And you know another way you honor the word of God is when the word is read, you're listening Amen. with both of your ears, Amen. with all four of your ears. Amen. You didn't know you got four ears? Two, you got two outer ears and you got two inner ears. He who has ears, let him hear what the spirit has to say. So there's a natural ear and then there's a spiritual ear. And so this morning it's, it's looking in the scriptures and it's, it's looking at the word and hearing the word of God and, and honoring the word this morning because it's the word that is powerful. It's the word that God used to, to speak the worlds into existence. His word that heals us. It's his word that revives us. The word of God is all powerful. It is almighty. It is likened unto himself. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Amen. Amen. Let's look at Gideon. Gideon, I'm sorry, Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at a man called Gideon. Verse 11, now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth tree which was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Ebrizrite, 
while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? So he said to him, O my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. If we're going to be changed, if we're going to be revived, if we're going to be healed, it's going to be through the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word. We honor the word in this place. We bow in humble reverence to the holy, eternal word of God. We thank you for the word that you've given us. It is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Your word is settled in heaven forever. Heaven and earth will pass away. Your word will never pass away. God, may we receive it in, in humility. May we receive it with a humble heart. God, that believes it today, may we hear what you have to say. May we hear who you say we are again. Lord, tell us again. Us again through the word of God this morning that we might be encouraged, that we might be changed, that we might be powerful, maybe we might be powerful warriors for you, God. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen and amen. You may be seated. Tell me who I am again. Before we look at the text, we want to set it in the context. How many of you know context is critically important, not only in the scriptures, but in life? If you just take a phrase, a word, you hear somebody on the phone, you just hear one end of a conversation and you take it out of the context, you might have a text, but you're going to be confused, you're going to be mixed up, you're not going to be in a good place. Uh, everything is about the context. Amen? So, so we don't want to just take a text out of the context. We want to put it in the surroundings so that we could have a powerful understanding of the word of God and maybe encouraged this morning. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. This is the book of Judges. These are the days of the judges in Israel. This book spans about 400 years if you are astute, if you are a student of the word, of which I hope you are, amen, I want to I empower a people, a church that knows the word of God, that has it at their, at their side, the sword of the spirit, amen, so, so put your thinking app on, amen, put your thinking cap on, let's, let's think this morning, 400 years, this is from the death of Joshua, Joshua was the successor to Moses, Joshua is the one who led the children of Israel into the promised land over the Jordan to divide the land, to give it as an inheritance to the people of God, Joshua lived and, and led the people, and when he died, a new era began, it was the era of the judges, and from that point until the first king of Israel, who was, let me ask this side, 
This, this side's a little quicker than you. The first king of Israel. So 400 years it spans. Now when you hear the word judges, you think of, here comes the judge. You think of the Supreme Court judge, a Superior Court judge. That was not the, 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 the meaning of the word. A judge in Israel was a military leader. He also had an administrative capacity. He also uh, led the people in uh, discerning the will of God. But he was raised up, a judge was raised up, he or she, because Deborah was a judge, and they were raised up in times of crises in the land when they need, the people of God needed the so God would raise up one of these judges, as they're called, and they would lead the people. Ehud was a judge. Samson was a judge. Um, Deborah was a judge. Samuel was a judge. These were spiritual leaders that led the people. Now, here we are, and, and we are looking at Gideon. He was a judge, and they were raised up in times of chaos and like I said they led the people and and you're going to find in the book of Judges there was a lot of chaos you want to know why because three references Judges 17 verse 6 Judges 18 verse 1 Judges 21 25 there's a statement it says that the people everyone did what was right in their own eyes how many of you know that's, that's a recipe for trouble? It doesn't say they did what was right in the Lord's eyes. It says they did what was right in their own eyes. It doesn't say they did what was right in, in, in according to the scriptures, but they did what was right in their own eyes. You know what that was? That's what we see in our culture today. We see in our culture today, well, I got my truth, you got your truth. We all have our own truth. So you leave me alone. You're not going to tell me what to do because I got my truth. You got your truth. If that's what you believe, hey, cool, that's good, bro. We love you. Hey, all right, let's all live together in peace. No way. No way. There was chaos in the land. And that wasn't said as a compliment. That wasn't said uh, as, a, as a nice little slogan or as an epithet. That was, that was said as a, as a real judgment or a condemnation of the culture because it was saying everybody just did what they felt was, was right. You know, there was no absolute truth. Now that, that I, I, it staggers my mind. It, 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 it just, it, it just, it's so hard to comprehend that we are now living in a culture where they don't believe in absolute truth. And not only the culture, but it's swept into the church. People do not believe certain things are wrong because they think, well, I, this is my truth and, and I don't believe that that's what you believe. No, 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 there is absolute truth. The word of God says, blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of the scorn, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law doth he meditate day and night, but the ungodly are not so, but are like the wind with which the chaff, the chaff dry, the chaff, yeah, the, the, chafe, thank you. Would you come and sit up here? I might need you again. But there's two paths in life. There's truth and there is error. And you see in the book of Judges that there was a failed condition of God's people. There were no absolute truth. Everyone followed their own truth and they followed the dictates of their own heart. And you know what that is? That's, you become a God unto yourself. 
a law unto yourself. You have your own standards, no truth, no absolute truth. And it caused chaos. And you know what? The enemy took advantage. And, and, and the enemies of Israel would come in and they saw that the culture would, was uh, just being messed with and, and being torn down. And the Midianites and the Amalekites invaded the land. And what they would do was they would plunder the crops. They would devastate the land. They would bring economic and social collapse. That's what was happening. But, but, but you see, a culture, a people, a nation is not usually destroyed from the outside. It's destroyed from the inside. We look in history, one culture after another, one, one empire after another was destroyed from the inside with moral decay. The Bible says, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Amen? Blessed is the nation who believes in righteousness. Come on, this is the truth. This is God's word. And, and, and see, we have to understand that this culture, that God, these were God's people. But instead of listening to what God had said and following the law and the word and the truth of God, they were following the dictates of their own heart. What, what was good for them or what they liked. If it feels good, just do it. That's what the mentality was. Brothers and sisters, I need to put my, my, my mouth, uh, the trumpet to my mouth and, and declare once again that the word of God is true and that God will not be mocked. And we need to follow what God has said and not what culture says. Because do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he reap. He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. He who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. That's the truth of God's word. And the people of God, you're going to see it over and over again in the book of Judges, 400 years of a cycle. They sin, God brings judgment, they cry out in their sin, in the, in the judgment, and God brings deliverance. What happens? They sin again, God brings judgment, they cry out again, God brings a deliverer. And it goes over, it's a cycle. You study the book of Judges, any commentary, anything you look up online, you're going to see, you're going to hear that there was a cycle, and that was the cycle. Now understand, the people of God were reaping the consequences. You have a choice today. You are a free moral agent. God created man. God created you and I unlike animals. We are created in the image of God and we are created with a, with a choice or a, or a free will. We can make choices and you can choose to do whatever you want to do. But you cannot choose the consequences of your choices. You cannot choose the consequences, and God will not be mocked. So what happened with the people of God? God allowed the consequences of their sin and their disobedience to take effect in their life. God is good. God is merciful, but he will not hold back the consequences of our own choices. Am I preaching the word? Is this the truth? He will not hold back the consequences. And, and you see, why does God do that? Because the, the truth of the matter is, when things are going good, when we're sinning, when we're doing our own thing and we're getting away with it, we don't care about God. We think we're cool. You know, and see, when you're younger, you know, the, the pleasures of sin have a diminishing effect. The younger you are, the longer, the greater the pleasures are, whether they be sexual all right, don't have to get that quiet. We're all grown-ups in the room. But whatever, they, the older you get, there's a diminishing effect. The guilt gets greater. 
the, the, the effect gets greater, and then, and then the realization of eternity is closer, and the end is near. But, but see, see, God will, will allow you to make your choices, but then he'll bring judgment and, 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 uh, and cause that judgment to cause you and I, if we're humble, if we're willing to turn, to repent, to turn back to him. Amen? And we see that cycle and we see, and, and, and here we have a, a man named Gideon. Come on, turn to the person next to you. Say, hold on, it's going to get better. If you made it through this pot, you're, you're all right. You see, this is how we find the main character in our story this morning. This is how we find a man named Gideon. The scriptures tell us in verse 11 that Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, uh, I'm not a farmer, and, and uh, I come from a, a history of Italians, but I never learned how to make wine. And I don't drink wine, just as a disclaimer. That's a whole other sermon. Just hold on, we'll get to it. But I don't, I'm not a farmer. Uh, I'm, I don't know how to make wine, but... but what doesn't go? You know, you got those little kids' books, all the different pictures, and what doesn't belong in this picture? What doesn't go? Threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, again, just to help you, because I'm not a farmer, and any farmers here used to farm? Garden? Okay, that, that'll work. <laughs> but, but threshing wheat, you would take... The, the grains of wheat, and that would be done in a wide open area, and they would have a threshing board that they would put the wheat on, and they would run a cart over with a threshing sledge. And basically, what that, the purpose of that was to take the grain or the sheaves and to take the, the kernels that were good for eating, and then the chaff would be blown away. They would, they would crush it, and then they would take with a pitchfork, and they would throw that which was crushed, all the wheat up in the air, and the wind would blow, blow away the chaff, right? We know that reference from Scripture, and then the grain would be harvested. They needed a wide open area. They needed room for cattle. They needed room for all of the implements of, of their trade, and, and, and a wine press could be a smaller area where they would crush the grapes with their feet. Now, I never understood that. I don't care how clean your feet are, but the thought of just crushing grapes with bare feet, I don't know, anybody, I don't know, I don't, I don't care how clean they are, you just, I mean, but that could have been done in a smaller area because you didn't need all of the instruments and you just needed feet. <laughs> And they would have a vat, and it would, once it crushed, it would, it would flow down into a large vat where it would all settle there. And so that was the two different separate processes, two different ways of doing it. But here is Midian. The Bible says he's threshing wheat in a wine press. So the question is, why was Gideon in the wrong place at the wrong time? Why was he threshing wheat in a wine press? I believe there's two reasons. Number one, very, very simply, was the fear of discovery of the Midianites. The Bible says he was doing this because of the fear of the Midianites. Why was he in fear? Because the Midianites were gathering on the border 135,000 soldiers. 
to come in the land. And what they would do, again, in this cycle, part of the judgment, the enemies, whether they be the Philistines, the Amalekites, the Midianites, they would come into the land and they would plunder their harvest. They would wait for them to harvest. Let them do all the work and they'd come and steal their harvest. Isn't that how the devil works? To try to steal our harvest. To try to steal what we have worked so hard for. And here we have, we have Gideon, he's in hiding because of the fear of the Midianites. So here he is living in fear, and, and that's one reason. And another reason was his, his harvest was probably small. He can do it in such a restricted area. What am I trying to say? I want us to look at this text. I want us to get the feeling. I want us to get the background. I want us to get the understanding because I think there's something we need to hear. Here is Gideon. He's in fear. He's in hiding. He's in a limited place. And you know what? He needed to hear God, what God had to say about him. He needed a word from the Lord. Now, the devil's primary weapon, I believe, is lies. I believe that his primary weapon is lies. He injects thoughts, he uses people, he uses situations to tear us down, and he uses his greatest weapon is lies, deception. We believe that if we have this, we'll be happy, and it's a lie. It's a temptation that leads us down a path that is wrong. The Bible says there is a way that lead, there was a way uh, that man thinks is right, but the end of that path is death. So if Satan's primary weapon is lies, our greatest counter weapon is the truth of God's word. It's what God has said in his word. Can you say amen? amen? We are living in a world, there are so many lies of their culture, of social media, and, 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 and we, we have this sense that you know, for us to be loved, for us to be accepted, for us to measure up, we have to have so many likes, we have to be, look a certain way, we, we equate our self-worth with our net worth, with our education, all these things. And you know what I have found in life? They're all moving targets. Every time you think you attain something, they move the goalpost. Meaning, there's always something more or something else you have to do to measure up to culture and society. It's a trap. It's a lie. You and I will never measure up because you can never attain to the standard. It's always moving and it really is unattainable. But the Bible tells us, the truth of God's word tells us that we are unconditionally loved that we are accepted by God, that we are more than conquerors, that we are chosen. Even Gideon, the Bible tells us he was hiding for fear of the Midianites, threshing wheat in a wine press. Here is Gideon. And God is about to speak some powerful words to him. You know, I was, someone just told me recently, they said they could hardly get out of bed in the morning because of the negative thoughts in their mind. And I venture to say that many of us wrestle with the thoughts in our minds and the devil is trying to put us in a restricted place like Gideon, in a limited place like Gideon. That's real. It's real, the power of our thoughts. Someone has said God has given you a mouth to defeat your mind. What that means is that you can't just let your mind run wild with all the negative thoughts without proactively defeating them with the truth of God's word and declaring what God has said. Do you know what confession is? Confession is lining up with what God has said. 
It is speaking and agreeing with what the word of God has declared. The question is, in this context, what did the Lord say to Gideon? Look at verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, or appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. Now, I think Gideon might have looked around. Like the three stooges when they walked in the room and, and the man said, Gentlemen, and they looked around and said, Who walked in? You don't know the three stooges. You don't know what you were missing growing up. Gideon must have turned around and said, who, me? He must have looked at, surely God can't be speaking to me. And I believe it's true when God speaks the word of truth over our lives, we begin to question, we begin to wonder, is he really speaking to me? Yes, he is. Yes, he is. That is his word. You and I are Beloved of God, that is the truth of his word. God saw Gideon as a mighty man of valor. Do you know what that word valor means? It means great courage in the face of challenges, especially in battle. God calls Gideon a mighty man of war. How did Gideon see himself? Well, look in the Bible. He says, I am the least. I am the weakest. I am fearful. You know, that's why the word of God instructs us to say, let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Talking about power of confession, aligning with what God has said. I don't know about you, but I battle sometimes with what people have said about me in my past. Anybody had something negative said about you? I think we all have. People could be so cruel from even from, think about a schoolyard, think about six, five, six years old, and, and I can't even comprehend now how that is extrapolated in, in, in social media and how that is, uh, the, the, the effect of it, how, how, it, how it just astronomically increases of, of the negativity and the things people say. Children and then adults are no better. We're just grown up children. And we say things and we, we tear people down and we, we, you know, you're a failure or you're no good or we say words that we don't realize the power of our words. And I know in my own self sometimes those negative, and they play over and over in your mind. I'm telling you, it is a battle. I'm telling you, you cannot be neutral in this. You need to be proactive in this because the devil will wear you down in your thoughts. Some of you right now are worn down in your thoughts, right in the house of God, because of what you believed and what you've repeated of something someone has said about you. God looks at Gideon. Gideon is in fear. Gideon is not a mighty warrior in the natural, but what was God seeing? God was seeing what he could become. God was seeing his potential that he had in God, that God could work in and through him. And you and I have that same potential. Oh, I wish somebody would believe the word of God. You see, those thoughts, those negative thoughts, uh, they, they want to weaken us, discourage us, tear us down, and even immobilize us at times. Our past. You know, that's why, you know what Paul said in... Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, he says, this one thing I do, 
this one thing. Now, if Paul says this one thing, I, I could say that's pretty powerful. If he says this one thing, you know what it was? He says this one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind. I forget the past, I leave it behind, and I press on. Hallelujah. Come on, people of God. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to be proactive. You've got to be determined to receive what God has said. What did God say to Gideon? You're a mighty man of war. You are a mighty man of war. And Gideon did what you and I would do. Well, you don't know my past. You don't know my upbringing. You don't know my family. You don't know what I've been through. You know, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the youngest in my family. My tribe is the, is the smallest in all of Israel. And he was giving God all of the excuses. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind Pastor Mike talked about it last week about reframing your failures and, 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 and letting your failures work for you, not against you. Paul says, I forget those things which are behind. He forgot the past, the negative things, the, 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 the words of, of defeat, the thoughts. You see, remember what God has declared over your life and over my life. What is the word of God declared? You are valuable. How do we know we're valuable? Because Jesus shed his blood for us. You are valuable. Turn to the person next to you. Say, you are valuable. You are significant. You are significant. Why? Because the Bible says you're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's own special people called out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have a purpose. How do I know we have a purpose? Because Jesus said, I've ordained you. I've chosen you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and I've ordained you that you should go forth and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Hallelujah. How many of you like Denzel Washington as an actor? I think he's a pretty cool actor. And he's a Christian too. So that, I like him that much more. He's a brother. But have you ever watched the movie Equalizer? <laughs> There's a quote at the beginning of the movie by Mark Twain. It says, the two most important days of your life are the day you were born and the day you found out why. I want to rephrase that a little bit. It's not scripture, so I can twist it a little bit. The two most important days of your life when you were born again Amen. and you find out who you are. Amen. You find out who you are. See, there are people, there are people even in ministry that are striving to do great things, not because they want to do it for God, but because of their ego. Because they're not secure in themselves. Some people think, if I don't do something great for God, I'm not significant, I'm insignificant. I can't do small things because people think I'm small. You're not small, you just think you are. So we understand this morning that, that see, for Gideon, he had to reflect upon the potential of the divine enablement in his life and what God can do through him. You see, the fears and the insecurities in our life could have a, us hiding, doing, doing maybe the right thing in the wrong place or maybe doing the wrong thing in the right place, but, but we're not fit where we should be. See, you've got to understand this morning, you cannot trust how you feel. Do you know your feelings are built off of your history? Hello? 
not based on your destiny. Come on, somebody, I got to say that again. That is good. You cannot trust how you feel because your feelings are built off of your history, but, but they're not based upon your destiny. You see, praise, that's why we praise God in this church, because we praise God with an expectation of what God will do. I want you to understand something. I don't praise God because I'm the pastor and I should praise God. I don't praise God because I'm emotional. I don't praise God because I, I want people to see me praising God. I praise God because I expect God to do. I need God to do something in my life. And I'm not going to let anybody shut me down. I'm not going to let anybody mute me. Not no devil, no person. I will praise God because he's done great things and he will do great things. Can you say amen? amen. Hallelujah. Have a confident expectation. You see, I might be down today, but I know help is on the way. Hallelujah. It ain't over because God is still at work. You see, for Gideon, when God spoke those words to him, they weren't his reality. See, see, there's where you don't get that this morning. I want you to get it this morning. You see, when the word of God comes forth and you believe it by faith, it might not be your present reality, but it is your divine potential. See, that's what the preaching of the word is. The word of God is sent forth to create faith in you so you rise up and believe and receive what God has. See, when the word of God is preached, you don't necessarily receive or, or have the, the manifestation of, of, the, of the thing believed for. You have the potential, the seed, which is the word of God. But when you believe it, you begin to see it in your life. Can you say amen? The word of God is powerful. The word of God is powerful. The divine potential. You see, the word goes forth. It creates faith. We believe it. We receive it. That's why when, when we're in the house of God, we ought to be at attention in the spirit. Aye, aye, captain. Yes, sir. I'm here. I'm listening. I'm receiving. I'm, I'm, I'm in tune. I'm, 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 I'm connected. I'm tracking with you. This is too important. You know, we, we, God help us. We used to go to church four times a week. Hey, anybody out there, you got to be over 30 years old to understand that one. I'm not even talking about Africa. I've been to Africa five times a week, six times a week, four hour, five hour services. Come on now. You know, we had a good Friday service and we had an Easter Sunday service. I was, I was WhatsApping apping uh, Pastor Zabay, and, and, and he said, oh, very busy. Uh, they had Wednesday night, Thursday, Friday, they had Christ ambassadors, young children, adults. They had choir, Saturday, Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday morning baptism, 6 a.m. in the morning. I felt like I was a sluggard. We used to have four services, Brother Bernard, four services, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Saturday night. Then we, we did away with Saturday night, Sunday. Now we got Sunday and Wednesday, and we used to have pre-service prayer, and, and now it's like you got to beg people to come early to pray, and now we want we got to pray during the service because they can't come early to pray. Before you know it, and, and now in churches, Sunday morning is just 45 minutes, 48 minutes, because we don't want little Christianettes to get a little nervous because the service can't go too long because they got to go live their life. What are we doing? 
Are we living for God? Are we living for Jesus? Or are we living for self? Are we living for the American dream? Four services. Now we're down to two. Some people are down to one. And some people come in late and they leave early. God, help us. How did I get from there to here? I don't know. It was just on my mind. It was on my mind. It was on my heart. God, help us. God, help us. Imagine, we're down to one. Some churches, Sunday morning, 50 minutes, that's it. You've got to get them in and out. You don't want to offend them. You don't want to preach against sin. You don't want to talk about anything that will offend people. You don't want, to, you don't want them to serve. No, they're too busy. They've got too much to do in their life. No, we've got to make it so convenient. But Jesus hung, bled, and died on a cross to give us eternal life and to give us abundant life in this life. And for us to serve him, the Bible says we live for him who died for us. What kind of savior are we presenting to a world when even the church cannot serve? The church cannot come to church. The church don't tithe. No, no, don't ask me to tithe because I got too many toys I got to buy. I can buy a new, oh, young people, let's give, let's give the little children a little piggy bank. Let them give a couple pennies. That was from the 60s we were asking them to do that. We're still asking them to give pennies? What happened to inflation? My God, have mercy. You mighty man of valor. Go in this might of yours. How are we going to get the might? How are we going to be that men and women of valor? We have to believe what God has said in his word. What God spoke to him. What God declared to him at his lowest point, he was weak, he was, he was the least, he was in fear, but God spoke something to him and that faith filled his heart. Amen. He said, I'll go in this might. I'll do it. And you see, God used Gideon. First he had 32,000 soldiers. God said there's too many. They whittled it down to Think 10 or 12,000. God said, you still got too many. They're going to face 135,000 Midianites and Amalekites. God says, you got too many. Whittled it down to 300 people. You know what the odds are? I did a quick math. It's 450 to 1. 300 to 135,000 soldiers. You know why God said that? There are too many because if Israel gains the victory, they're going to bring glory to themselves and they're going to think they did it and I'm not going to get the glory. Why does God reduce you and I to nothing sometimes? The people of God don't always look like they're winning. The people of God don't always look cool. They're not always on the, the cover of GQ magazine. Some are. But that's a whole nother sermon. We don't know where they are today. God have mercy. The church doesn't know when he breaks us and he humbles us and we go through trials. And what was Gideon saying? Lord, if you're with us, where are all the miracles? Come on, how many of us have said that before? God, where are the miracles? God, we heard about what you did at the Red Sea. Our fathers told us about some of the revivals. But God, where are you now? 
And see, that's one of the major indictments against the church and the younger generation. They come in, they hear all the stories of years ago. They want to see the power of God now. It behooves you and I today to rise up and to say, God will do it again. God is a God of revival. God is a God of miracles. God is a God of the impossible. God is a God who still opens blind eyes, still sets captives free, still raises the spiritual dead, still heals the sick. God, where are all the miracles you told us about? Saying the Lord is with us. And, and here was Gideon. He didn't realize the Lord was standing right there. And he's saying, where is the Lord? You don't realize sometimes God is right there with you in the midst of your pain, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your loss, in the midst of your nothingness. God is going to do something. So when he does it, I know that I know that I know it's God and not me. When God does a miracle in your life, when he breaks you, when he humbles you, you say, how can God make sense out of a divorce? How can God make sense out of, out of this setback? How can God make sense out of the bankruptcy, the failed uh, relationship? How can God make sense out of all of that? I don't know how we can, but I know he can. I know he will if we trust him, if we stay firm, if we believe his word. Because he says, you are a mighty man of valor. You are a mighty woman of valor. Do you believe what God says this morning? I want you to stand together with me. I'm going to ask the singers and the musicians to come back. I want to declare to you, this is by Neil Anderson. He wrote a great book on the bondage breaker. And he wrote, the, and this comes from him, who I am in Christ. According to John 1.12, I am God's child. 1 Corinthians 12, I am a member of Christ's body. Colossians 2, I am complete in Christ. Romans 8, I am free from condemnation. 8.28, I am assured that God works for good in all my circumstances. Romans 8.31, I am free from any condemnation brought against me and I cannot be separated from the love of God. Colossians 3, I am hidden with Christ in God. Philippians 1.6, I am confident that God will complete the good work he started in me. Philippians 3.20, I am a citizen of heaven. 1 John 5.18, I am born of God and the evil one cannot touch me. I am a minister of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 2.6, I am seated with Jesus Christ in the heavenly realm. Ephesians 2.10, I am God's workmanship. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Lord, we need to hear it again. Tell me who I am. Tell me what you say this morning. Tell me the promises you have made in your word. God, we just delete all of the negative thoughts. We just push the reset button. And we, we bring up a whole new program. Your word, your promises today, God. Father God, I just declare over this church, over this people, that we are mighty men and women of war. We declare this morning that we who are weak are strong. We who are poor are rich because of what the Lord has done. God, we thank you for the word that you gave to Gideon and then you just, just told him, go. I want you to go in this might of yours. God, may we go this morning in the might and in the power of God today. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit to touch hearts, to rekindle something in each one of us. 
God, even as we begin to sing, even as we begin to worship, if there are those here this morning that need, that need the revelation, that need the illumination of the Holy Spirit, God, may you just touch them today. May you just draw them today. In Jesus' name, I want to read one more scripture, and then I want us to pray. In Ephesians chapter 1, if you, if you read that and study that, you'll find that in all of Paul's writing, it is so chock full um, of, of declarations of who we are in Christ. Matter of fact, in the Greek, it's one of the longest run-on sentences in all of Greek in the New Testament. It was as if Paul could not, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he couldn't help himself. He couldn't stop just declaring all of these things. We're blessed, we're chosen, we're predestined, we're, we're accepted in the beloved, etc., etc. I'm not going to read it all, but, but what he goes down to say at the end of this, and I think this is crucial, I want you to listen. Please stay with me. He says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. And look what he prays. And here's, I want you to get this. I want you to understand this. Paul listed these great characteristics and attributes of, of the child of God, of you and I. But he understood they were just words unless God's spirit helped the people to understand it. So look what he says. He says, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know, listen, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believed, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places far above principalities and powers. My point is, the great things that Paul declared about believers that are true, um, he understood there was the need of a revelation, illumination. The Holy Spirit had to, to really seal the deal and make it real to them. And I pray this morning... That, that if you need that understanding in a greater way, you know, I think all of us struggle. You can be a teenager and you're struggling with your identity, who you are. You could be an older person and questioning, well, what is my future? What, what has been my purpose? And we all struggle. My point is we all struggle. We all need to hear what God has to say about us. The affirmation, his love, his acceptance, his, his, his complete commitment to us. So as they begin to play a note and begin to sing, I want to ask you to come forward. I've asked the, the staff, the pastors, the elders to be ready to pray with you. And Some of you need to hear God in a powerful way that will change the trajectory of your not only your, your day, your week, but your year. So as they begin to sing, would you, would you come forward and just tell the Lord, I need to hear you say who I am again. I need to hear it in my heart. I need to hear it in my spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. I am blessed, I am called, I am...